In our third week of our replay series, we're talking about faith. We're looking at the lives of those who lived a life of great faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith hall of fame, if you will. And uh, last week we talked about Noah. And there are a couple of questions I want to ask you about uh, last week's message and how it applied to your life. Number one is how many of you had to live by faith this week? Okay, there are a few. How many of you had to build an ark this week? thought I was going to have to. Man, it rained like crazy, and um, uh, I thought it was kind of funny that, you know, we talk about the flood and whoosh, just comes down on us. But today we're going to be talking about Abraham in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're also going to be in Genesis chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 11 in Genesis chapter 12. You know, I am on social media uh, quite a bit. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. One day this pastor, he said, one of my greatest fears is walking to the podium with my iPad and forgetting my login password because there would be my notes. And you can imagine what's going on right now is I did not forget my password but my iPad will not come on. So, what does that mean? Lord Jesus. It means we're going to pray, right? When in doubt, you just pray. You just pray for God to give you what you need. And so, uh, maybe this thing will come on um, here in a few minutes. And so, uh, anyway, here we go. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8 is where we see uh, where we see Abraham talked about his, they're talking about his faith and he's in the faith hall of fame. And what we know about Abraham is that, that Abraham was a very, a very famous guy is when you look at the New Testament and you look at the writing of the, the New Testament disciples, Abraham's life and Abraham's faith were the greatest apologetic that they had for supporting life and salvation by faith as they would preach the gospel I think there are like 25 references in the New Testament that the disciples used to refer to salvation by faith. And they used Abraham to uh, be that greatest apologetic, that greatest proof. And so Hebrews chapter 11, I want to read it to you. It is going to be on the screen so we'll be able to read uh, what it says. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And we have stopped right there. And what we know about Abraham is his is the longest commentary in Hebrews chapter 11. We're talking about faith. It doesn't stop there. It goes on. And we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But Abraham was the son of a man named Terah. Terah was a descendant of Noah. Noah's, you know, Noah was a godly man, and we know that, that God used him to build the ark to preserve the, the human race. But as time went on, I believe we're about 1600 years, if, if I'm not mistaken, about 1600 years removed from Noah. And you probably know the story of the Tower of Babel. You remember that story? And the people had decided they, they were rebelling against God. They were, They were idol worshipers and they had declared that they were going to build a tower 
not to not, you know, I used to see pictures of this and you'd see the tower being built up into the heavens. And some would say that they were building this tower to try to to get into heaven to to uh, to get to God. But that's not really what was going on. They wanted to build. Hey, they were like Jerry Jones. OK, the Cowboys owner. They wanted to build the biggest building they could build because they wanted, as it says, they wanted to make a name for themselves. They want to make a name for themselves. And um, thank you. I appreciate that. You are so smart. And um, they are my family after all. Right. <laughs> just just play. And so they wanted to make a name for themselves. And uh, Abraham was a descendant of of Terah. He was a descendant. This was his culture. This was his heritage. But when everybody else was choosing an idol to worship, when they were choosing a, a God to worship, Abraham himself was choosing the one true God. For some reason, he had just chosen in his heart that idol worship is not right. These idols are dead. I choose God. And so because Abraham was choosing God, God looked down and saw his heart. He saw that his heart was pure. He saw that his desire was good. And God chose to bless Abraham. In fact, he chose to call him for a blessing. He chose him to, he chose him to live by faith. And so he, um, as Abraham was called, he had a dilemma. He had to make a choice. Am I going to say yes to God or am I going to say no to God? And I think every day we're faced with those choices. Yesterday, uh, as we were sitting at the dinner table, um, I told my son, I'm always having teachable moments with my children. I'm mostly having teachable moments with my son. He's the one that that like pushes the limit. He's the one who tests my patience. But he's also the one that um, he's my smartest kid. Sorry, Hannah. Um, there's always that risk. I mean, you sit in here, you have to hear this. All right. He's he's here. I'll make it better. Don't ever tell him that. But he's, he's really smarter than me. OK, he outsmarts me all the time. But but we're always having these teachable moments. And I told him yesterday, I said, you know what? You have you have the the power. You have the two most powerful words in your vocabulary. You, you are so powerful and you can choose to say yes or you choose to say no. Yes and no are powerful words. And we were talking about obedience. We were talking about obeying me as his father. And you have the choice every time I ask you to do something to say yes or to say no. And each one has a consequence. One for blessing. I didn't tell him this, but one for curse, right? That's what they say. One for um, not a blessing. There are consequences for saying no to your authority. And the same thing is, you know, there, there are consequences for saying no to God. Well, Abram, Abraham's name was Abram at this point in his life. Later, God would change his name. But here's, here's what he had from God. In Genesis chapter 12, I believe it's 1 through 3, I think it may be on the screen. This is what it says. That the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country. He said, I want you to leave here. I believe this was after his father had died, so God allowed him to stay there and honor his father. There's something to be said about honoring our fathers. And God allowed him to honor his father. But he says, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God is, is pouring out this, this call to Abram, but he's also telling him, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. And there's this promise that he is giving to Abram. And Abram says, hey, I have a choice to make. I can say yes to God or I can say no to God. But when God comes to me and he says, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to show you, I'm going to lead you to another country. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. I'm saying, time out. I need a little more info. I need you to, to share a little bit more. What am I getting myself into? And here's, here's what Abram was faced with. Abram was given these invisible promises by God. They're very vague. I mean, God says, hey, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to take you to another country. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to bless you. What is a promise? A promise is it's a commitment made for, from someone else to someone um, that they will fulfill a certain pledge. Let's just say that, okay? It's a commitment that they're making to fulfill the pledge that they've made. And what God pledged was very vague. But this is what he said to Abram. He said, I will lead you. Okay? He said, I will lead you. There is, there is this great promise that will be fulfilled if you will allow me to lead you and if you will faith, faithfully follow. By saying, I will lead you, he was calling Abram to follow him and to trust him. I don't know about you, but I'm not a great follower. I'm not a great follower, at least in this, this stage in my life. I do know, however, that to be a great leader, you first have to be a great follower. You have to follow that line of progression. If I want to be equipped to be the greatest leader that I can be, if I want to be the greatest dad that, that I know that I can be, if I can be the greatest wife that I know that I can be, then there is some point in my life that I have to be a learner. I have to follow. And what God was doing is He was calling Abram to be a follower and to just trust Him. And in our day and time, it's hard to follow on invisible promises. Would you say yes? Hey, we need a little bit more information than that because here's what a promise is to me. A promise is that you are making a commitment to do something for me that is tangible, that I can get my hands on, that I can get lay my eyes on, that's going to make my life better. Those are the kind of promises that I like. The kind that are going to make my life better. The kind that I can see. Because if you're like me, you trust better with your eyes. I trust better with my eyes. When I can lay my eyes on something, when I can see the plan, when I know how much I'm paying, when I know what it's going to cost me, that's when I can make a, the best decision, yes or no. Because I want to know what it's going to cost. I want to know what's in it for me. But Abram didn't get that. He just got, hey, I'll lead you. And then he got this one. I will make you. I'll lead you and I will make you. And um, as I was writing this, I was thinking, you know, we live in a culture that um, of people who like to make themselves. We live in a, in a world of self-made people, self-made millionaires, and now it's becoming billionaires. They're self-made people. But, but God didn't put the pressure on Abram to follow or to, to go into the wilderness and to pursue what God told him he was going to be pursuing and lay it all on him. The burden wasn't on Abram to achieve it all himself and to make his own name great. God just says, hey, if you'll follow me, I will make you. And he says, I'll make your name great. He didn't really know what that meant. 
He didn't know exactly what that looked like. Patrick Lencioni is a, is a guy who is a, he's a, he's an author and he writes books about leadership and teamwork in the business place. I follow him on Twitter and the other day he posted something that, that went like this. He said, well, you know, we, uh, we no longer live in a world of people who want to, uh, change the world. We live in a culture of people who want to be known for changing the world. We just live in a culture that, of people who want to be famous and have their, they want their name known. They want people to know who they are. And, um, that's not, that's not trust. That is, that is saying, hey, what's in it for me? If I can be famous, then I'll do it. If it's going to get my name out there, if it's going to build my network, if it's going to uh, give me more money, if it's going to give me more uh, pleasure, and if it's going to give me more material things, and if I'm going to progress up the up the chain of of um, uh, up the ladder of success, then I'm in. But if it's going to cost me something, then I'm not. If you aren't going to know that I did it, then I'm not going to do it. You know, great leadership. Great leadership is not. Wanting the glory for yourself. It's wanting to share it. Now, God doesn't necessarily share His glory, but what God does do is God allows us to partake of the benefits of our obedience. The benefits of obedience are our blessing. And God uses His glory to, to bless those who will follow and will trust God to make them great or make their name great. Here's a, a good illustration about trust. Every week, most days of the week, um, I'll walk down the hallway here at church in the office and I'll say, who wants to go to lunch? And the answer is from one is, yeah, where are we going? And I'm like, what does it matter where we're going? And I mean, you'd think that they would just say, yeah, because they just want to hang out, spend some time with their good old pastor, Right. But it always matters where we're going because they're not worried about the, the hanging out part and spending time with the pastor. They're just worried about the food, man. They're worried about what's in it for them. So if, if, if it's good, it sounds good, then they're in. If, if it doesn't sound too good, now nah, I think I'll just stay here and eat the lunch that I, that I brought. There's not a lot of trust in that. That's kind of the way we are with God. God says, Hey, you want to go on a journey? Where are we going? Bible says that Abram didn't ask that question. It says that he went. He packed up his possessions. He packed up his wife, his nephew, who was Lot, by the way. Lot, you know that name from the Old Testament. Lot was his nephew, and he packed up all of his goods. He prepared his servants, and they set out on a journey that God told them to go, and they didn't know where they were going. But here's what I find about God is God is faithful that along the way, God gives us a little bit of the picture. He brings it into view. He helps us understand a little more. God didn't just say, hey, I'll lead you and I will make you a great name. But he said, I'll bless you. Abram didn't know exactly what that blessing looked like. He didn't know exactly what that would, how that would benefit his life. He didn't know exactly what was um, what was packaged up in this gift that God was going to give him, but it was something that was that was big. It was something that was that was great. And what it was was he was going to give him a family that he had always wanted. 
And when he shared this with Abram, Abram came to the place in his life where he struggled to believe. Does anybody ever go through that time where they, they're really on fire for God, they really believe God, they see God do a work in their life, and then something else happens and God calls you to something else, or maybe you just kind of lose that initial feeling of excitement, and then you fail or at least struggle to trust and believe? Abram was a man of God, he was a man of faith, and he came to this point where he was at a, this crisis of belief where he, he didn't know if he could really believe what God was saying. And here's why. He was 75 years old. And God came to him and said, hey, I'm going to give you kids. I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to give you a family. And in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 12, I believe it is, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And this throws Abram into a tailspin. He didn't know how to reply. He didn't know how to reply with words. He didn't know how to reply with actions because he had no children. He was 75 years old. His wife was uh, about 10 years younger than he was. Hey, she still wasn't a spring chicken, right? I mean, she may be past the childbearing age for, for all he knows. Hey, this is impossible. But God said he was going to do it. And all Abram could do was make a choice. Was he going to believe or was he not going to believe? Was he going to say yes to God or was he going to say no to God? And so before we go any further, I know there are some notes that you want to fill out in your, in your, um, on your note sheet. And the first thing is, is you have to believe God's invisible promises. God said, hey, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to make, if you're, I'm going to make your name great. And then I'm going to bless you. Every one of those are invisible. But what God does with our invisible promises is God begins to do the impossible in the midst of the invisible. God brings clarity to the invisible promise. He allows us to just step by step to see his promise fulfilled. And so uh, Abram was caught in this place where he had to wait on God. He just had to wait on God and he had to wait on God. You ever feel like you're just waiting all of your life? Just waiting on God. If you live in Houston, Texas, you know what it means to wait. We wait everywhere we go. It's all about waiting. We well, had to wait on God to really get a sense of what this blessing would be. But he chose to trust. He chose to trust, at least for a little while. And then you come to Genesis chapter 16, and you see that Abram kind of hit a rock bottom in his life. Abram and his wife, they were beginning to lose hope they were going to have children. His wife had an idea. Her name was Sarai. Sarai couldn't have kids. That's why he didn't have children. She was barren. She had never had kids. And in a day when it was about having children and having an heir and having an inheritance and to be able to give that to your children, uh, it was a big deal. And Sarai couldn't have kids. And so she said, hey, Abram, I've got this plan. You know, I've got this maid. And we've talked about this and she's willing to help us out, but maybe you should just go into her and lay with her and maybe we can have a child that way. Abram was like, aha, now we're talking. Okay, so they go and they they do the stuff, everything they're supposed to do and have a kid. His name was Ishmael. They had a son. And to Abram, this was God's blessing. 
this was the one who would be the heir of promise. This would be the one that God would bless and bring forth nations and that he would populate the earth with and that, that God would use to fulfill his promise. That's another story for another time, but here's how this worked out. God saw what happened and he came to Abram when he was 99 years old and God reaffirmed his promise to Abram. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. And this is what he said in chapter 17, verse 4. It says, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And at that time, God changed his name from Abram which means high father to Abraham. That means father of a multitude. Then he began to bring clarity to this promise. He kind of put it on on turbo. He sped the process up and he said, this is an everlasting covenant. This covenant will never expire. It's going to last forever. And in verse seven, he says, I will be God to you and your descendants after you. Then in verse eight, also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. He's talking about Canaan. That's the promised land. Canaan, as I told you before, Canaan is the Palestine of today. So the Arabs live. You know, there's, there's this conflict that's going on over this piece of property of who it belongs to, who it doesn't belong to, who had it first. And the Canaanites had it, but God had already ordained it to give it to Israel. Through Abraham. So he promised him Canaan. He promised him Canaan. And in verse 8, he says, I give this to your descendants, the land in which you are a stranger, and your wife, Sarai. I want you to change your name to Sarah. I will bless her. I will give you a son by her, and she shall become nations. And Abraham fell down on his face. He fell down on his face. And when you see someone fall on their face, they're usually doing what? They're worshiping. They're falling down to give praise and honor to God. Listen to what Abram did. Abram, it says he fell on his face and he laughed to himself. And he said, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And when Sarah heard this, she laughed. They couldn't believe it. Didn't make sense. And sometimes... Sometimes God's blessings don't make sense. See, God's promises are invisible. Sometimes His plans, they're irrational. You know what irrational means? It just means they don't make sense. It means they're crazy. It means literally that that's silly. And isn't that kind of how they took it? God, this is irrational. It doesn't make sense. And they laughed about it. They laughed about it. And they laughed about it. And they doubted that God would really do this. But in Genesis 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was to be born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. He named him Isaac. And what you find about God is that God is a promise maker. God is a promise keeper. He will lead you. He'll make you. 
He'll bless you if you just trust Him. Is there room for doubt? There's room for doubt. But when you doubt, don't, don't forsake God. Run to God and allow God to bring clarity to an invisible promise, to an invisible blessing. So, believe God for His inv- invisible promises. And then second, trust God's irrational plan. Trust God's irrational plan. When God reveals His plan to you, sometimes it's silly. It doesn't make sense. It requires a great deal of faith. After all, it's faith that pleases God. When God called me to come to Clearpoint Church in 2008, it was irrational. It really was. It really didn't make sense. And I've told this story. There are a lot of people here that don't know the story. I won't tell the whole thing. But there are people here today that could um, back my story up. All of the cards were stacked against this church. The church was in great decline. Over the past seven to ten years, it had been declining. And the church was just in a bad, in a bad place. I, however, was in a good place. I was in a very good place. It was good for me because it was a comfortable place. How many of you like comfortable? I, I like comfortable. I like to go home on Sunday afternoon, kick back and watch TV. That's just what I do. I like comfortable. I like to do that on Friday and Saturday too. And Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday as well. I just like it. I like to be comfortable. But I was comfortable and God said, said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to move you a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to shake things up. And so I was thinking, you know, I could just hear the moving part. He had spoken through my wife and we had had times of prayer and just seeking God on what God was doing in our life. And so we end up coming to Clearpoint Church, met with a group of people that said, okay, we're going to tell you who we are. We're looking for a pastor and here are all of our problems. And when a church pastor search search committee starts off with this, this is all of our problems. Get out. Okay, just run. That's my advice. Just run. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's do this. And so we, we sat and we talked and, and Heather and I for about two and a half hours just listened and listened and listened to the history of Clearpoint Church. And ready to say no. In my heart, my heart was just screaming, no. God said to me, He spoke to me very clearly, very quietly. He said, Brian, just trust me. The last three years of your life, that was for this. Just trust me. And I said, God, don't jack with me. That's, that's what I said. That's what I said. I said, God, don't jack with me. Don't be messing with me because I was very comfortable. I was at a church. There was no debt. The church was growing. There was, a, there was no debt. There was a lot of money in the bank. And we were just, we were comfortable. And God was bringing me to a church that was completely broken and broke. That's all I can say. It was irrational. Long story short, I began to pray and God, God made things happen. The church called me as their pastor and I began to pray, God, give me a word for Clearpoint. Just give me a word that kind of summarizes Clearpoint, that's going to uh, give me a launch pad for my ministry, kind of give me some vision and help me know kind of where to start. And I really wasn't hearing a lot from, from God and kind of how He was giving me the word I was asking for. But the first Sunday I was here, 
I walked in those doors and I came down this aisle and a lady that was a member of the church met me about halfway down the aisle. And she said, Brian, my name is so-and-so. She introduced herself. And she said, God gave me a word for you. And she had this little bookmarker that she had made out of some ribbon, had a little bead on the end of it. And on that bead was the word, imagine. And she gave me the bookmark with a little bead and she said, God gave me this to give to you. The word is imagine. Brian, I want you to imagine all that God is going to do through you at Clearpoint Church. God gave me the word that I asked for. And when God reveals to you an invisible, irrational, impossible plan, imagine what God could do if you just trust Him. Just imagine what He can do through you if you'll just trust Him. See, Abram was facing his own imagine. See, mine was, God God answered my prayer. He gave me a word to me. It was my imagine moment was a big deal. But when I look at Abram's life, mine didn't compare to what God was doing in Abram's life. God chooses us all for different moments, different times. But this is what he said. See, Abram's imagine, Abram's imagine was a child. It was a son. He wanted an heir. He wanted someone that he could pour into and pass on all that he knew and all that he experienced. He wanted to pass that on to his son. I mean, he had a nephew. His name was Lot, but you know how that turned out. It didn't turn out great. But God did this impossible thing. Though it seemed irrational, though it was a little hazy, it was invisible, and though it was crazy, when Abram was and Abraham was a hundred years old, God gave him the son that he had asked for. And then God takes it another notch. See, when I came to Clearpoint, it was unbelievable. God gave me the imagine. I started to cast a little bit of vision. We had our first first Sunday. People started coming back to this church by the first Easter. I believe it was 680 people were in the Easter service. And I thought, man, this, this is happening. This is the best thing that I've ever done in my life. This is awesome. And I probably started to get a little prideful. Uh, a little cocky about that and taking some glory that I shouldn't have taken. And I remember standing right here and saying, if this is not God's plan, then God let it fail. And I meant it with all my heart. And I believe that where we were was, was God's plan just so that He could show me that what I wanted and what I envisioned was not what He wanted at all. And over the next few years, we decline and we think we're going to die. And then God does this thing where we think we're going to have our own plan. And I said, okay, we're going to get this vision team together. We're going to put it together. We're going to make this happen. And we went to a conference and we're getting all these ideas on how to do church growth. And we're even thinking about possibly changing the name and changing direction. All this stuff was on the table. I had a phone call from a guy who said, hey, Brian, are you willing to do this? You're willing to partner with our church and we'll just kind of, we'll lead you, we'll, we'll help you and it involved the name change. And in the midst of that, God said, Brian, that's not what I have for you. He said, I'm in the business of resurrecting dead things. You just got to trust me. And I trusted him. And I'll tell you what, this story is, 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 I'll never forget it because it's a monumental moment in my life. 
And God began to resurrect our church. And there are so many details that go into that. But God worked miracle after miracle after miracle. But it was a moment that we had to come to to say, hey, I'm going to trust God in this. God's given us this baby. How are we going to take care of it? Well, God didn't want us to take care of it. God wanted us to dedicate it to Him. And let Him do it. Abraham was faced with the same situation. I got my son. I got my heir of promise. He's he's the one that God has chosen. And then God just drops this bombshell on him. And he says in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. He tried his faith. And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am, Lord. I mean, you see God working the way that he's been working on your behalf when God comes calling. Well, hey, here I am, God. What you want? What you got for me? Another blessing? Where are you leading me next? Well, little did he know where God was going to lead him. This is what God said. It says in verse 2, he said, now I want you to take your son. And you have to realize that Isaac had grown. He wasn't a baby anymore. He's probably a young teenager by this time. He says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac. So he was clarifying, I don't want you to take Ishmael. That might have been an easy one. I want you to take Isaac, whom you love. And I want you to go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. I want you to take him there. I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. You getting that? On one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And the next verse says, so early in the morning. I don't know if it was the next morning, but I have a hunch that it was the next morning. That Abraham got up, he started getting his donkeys and all of his stuff together. He cut the wood, he split the wood for, for the altar, and, and uh, he was getting all of his servants ready to help him kind of make this, this journey up the mountain. And he gets his son, and they're on their way. And in verse 7 it says, but Isaac spoke to Abraham his father, and he said, my father... And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham never believed in this instance that God was irrational. Can imagine he was feeling some angst in his heart But he had such strong faith. How do I know he had that faith? Because look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. Kind of the commentary of what happened here. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. And in verse 19 it says, Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham was tested. The question was, was he willing to go? He was tested again, and there was a different question. And that question was, would he be willing to let go? Would he be willing to let go of the greatest thing that God had ever given him? Sometimes we look at our kids. Man, I look at my kids. Mm. And I stare at my kids. And I thank God for my kids. 
Jacob can push the buttons. Believe me, he can push the buttons. He can test my patience. But I look into the face of my son. And man, I'm just overwhelmed by the glory of God. And the blessing of God and how God blessed me with this kid. That I get to lead. That tests me but also sharpens me and helps me become a better father. But also that, that I can that I can lead and raise to be a godly young man. There were times I remember we would, when he was little, he was about two years old, and we'd be jumping on the trampoline, and we'd sit down on the trampoline, and I would just tell him, say, Jacob, there's one thing that's more important than having fun, because since he could talk, life has been all about having fun. He's 11, and it's still about having fun. I'm getting a little worried. But I said, Jacob, God's called us to be godly men. To be godly men. And we'd talk about that and what that means. And then the next time we'd be on the trampoline, and then here comes his sisters running out there to get on the trampoline. He'd jump up and say, no, we're having man time right now. He'd say, no, man time right now. And so it was special for him for us to have that time for me to pour into him as my son. And I look at my daughters and I pray over them and I just pray blessing on them and protection on them and for God to use them in some way that will bring Him glory in their life. I see God's blessing in them and I don't take it for granted. There are people who don't get to have kids and I'm sorry for that, but God has chosen to bless you in other ways that He didn't choose to bless me in. And There are some who don't have children that you get to be the mother or the grandmother or the father or the grandfather to a lot of kids and your, your influence is far more uh, spread out than mine is. So God chooses us all for different things. But God chose Abraham to give him this son, and then He chose him to sacrifice him. And the story ends like this, is that He had him on the altar, and it seems that Isaac was willing, and he knew what sacrifice was, he knew what offering was. He said, hey, where's the lamb, where's the ram, whatever. He said, where's the blood offering? Where's the one who's going to die in this offering for our worship here? And it looks like he was willing to climb up on the, on the offering, uh, on the altar, to offer himself along with his father, believing that either God was going to provide a way out, or even if he died, God was going to bring him back to life. That is faith. That's faith right there. I don't know if I could go there. I don't know if I could do that. I've seen, I've seen people lose their children and I've heard a mother wail and wail and wail over losing her infant son and that feeling is burned into my mind, into my heart and my emotions. I can't even imagine what it would be like to lose a son or a daughter, a child. It just doesn't seem natural for your children to die before you. But Abraham's faith was so strong, he was willing but I think he was willing because he was going back to the promise that God had made. I'm going to give you a son, and through him, you're going to become nations. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to bless your family. And he knew that it wasn't just any son. It was his son Isaac. He offered him. God provided a substitute. Right before he sacrificed his own son, God provided a a ram in the thicket is what the King James Version says. Is that he provided this ram and they got the ram and they, they, they worshiped there and they made an offering there to God. And 
that point, their life was, was never the same. But it was never the same because Abraham was willing to trust in God's irrational plan. It didn't make sense. It was crazy. I have my own experiences of the miraculous things that God has done when I've trusted, when I've imagined, if you will, and surrendered to Him. But I can't tell you how many times that I've missed out on the miraculous, on the imagine, because I didn't surrender. Because when I was at the crossroads and faced with that question and the decision to say yes to God or no to God, I can't tell you how many times I've said no. Anybody else say no to God on a regular basis? I think we do. We say no to God every single day. But ask yourself, when was the last time you said yes to God? He was calling you to pick up and move to another city, sight unseen, would you go? If he said, hey, I want you to quit your job today, would you say yes to God? I mean, that provides a lot of security. I mean, there's no news of a layoff. God said, hey, I want you to quit. You don't have anything else that you have planned to take care of your family. Would you do it? Here's my answer. No. I'd go talk to my wife first. And that's kind of funny because we make our decisions together. But you know what? Instead of talking to my wife so much about it, I probably should talk to God more about it. Beg God for some clarity. Ask God for the details. What I've found is a lot of times God doesn't give the details until we said yet, until we say yes. I remember when I was a younger preacher, when I was first starting out in ministry, um, I was 20 years old. And I told myself if I ever had opportunity to speak in public, preaching or otherwise, I would say yes and I'd worry about it later. Because I knew that if I thought about it long enough, I would say no. Because I was fearful of speaking in public. That was my greatest fear. Worse than cancer, worse than being homeless, worse than a loved one dying, I feared uh, speaking in public. So I told myself, I'm going to say yes, and then I'll worry about it later. What if we lived our life like that? Hey, Brian, quit your job. I've got something better for you. Okay, God, what is it? He doesn't answer. Okay, I'm in. This doesn't make sense. That's irrational. My wife would kick me out probably. I don't know. Uh, there, there would be a lot of explaining to do. But what if we just said yes to God? And that is, that's what I want to ask you today. That's the question that I have for you today. Is are we saying yes or are we saying no? Because our faith is determined by our yeses and our noes. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, without the yes, it's impossible to please God. Let's stand together.